Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Irina Dragon. Dr. Dragon is an assistant professor at Tufts University School of Dental Medicine in the Department of Periodontology. She is a diplomat of the American Board of Periodontology and her administrative responsibilities at Tufts include serving as Director of Faculty Education and Instructional Development and Program Director for the Dental Education Learning and Teaching Academy Fellowship. She's the Code Course Director for the Management of Complex Cases. This initiative was designed to strengthen and facilitate an interdisciplinary and interprofessional path forward for our profession that benefits clinicians, students, residents, private practitioners, and most importantly, patients. Dr. Dragon was invited by the Association for Dental Education in Europe to serve as a consultant for several projects. She's one of the few faculty members selected to represent ADEA to the 2017 and 2019 Global Initiative shaping the future of dental education for the workshop, New Technologies and Scientific Discoveries. She currently serves as the chair-elect of ADEA SIG, Career Development for New Educations. Dr. Dragon maintains a private practice limited to periodontology and implant dentistry at Tufts Faculty Practice located in downtown Boston. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Irina Dragon. Irina, I am so excited to have you on the show today. You have been an amazing woman, an inspiration to all of our students at Tufts. And I just want to share you with the audience and other people that may not understand what you have done in the field of education. I mean, your breadth of reach is all the way across the pond to the other side of Europe. And I'm really excited to have you here today. So thank you for your time. So you know, like I do with all my guests, I really would love it if you would share with the audience, you know, how you got into dentistry. I know your story doesn't start in the United States, and I think that's an awesome thing that you've journeyed over here and, and made that huge transition from where you grew up. Many of us don't ever leave the state we live in, never mind go across to another country. So I'd love to have you tell us your story, and then we'll get into some questions after that, if that's okay. So I'm originally from Romania, and I uh, finished my dental school in uh, Bucharest, which is the capital of Romania. But why did I get into dental school? My brother finished military medical school. So I was kind of like, you know, he's eight years older than me. So I was always like the little sister that was looking up to him. He would get all, uh, you know, he would attend like multiple like physics and math contests. And I would always see him like, you know, he has so many awards at home all the things that uh, he has done. And I knew I wanted to be in healthcare, especially because when I was very little, like 13 years old, my father passed away. So then I saw that, you know, what a healthcare professional can do and, you know, the, the impact that they can have, especially since my mom got really sick afterwards. And I saw how they were able to transition her from a state that was not very healthy to, you know, she's still alive and one of the most active people that I know nowadays. So I wanted to be healthcare for sure, but not necessarily dentistry. And then as my brother was going to the medical school at that time, I saw how his destination was kind of like forced by the system. So he had very few options in terms of after finishing uh, medical school. So I said, you know, I don't, I'm the type of person that doesn't really like that. And he would also say, you know, I'm not sure if this is a right fit for you to kind of like have your pathway already uh, designed. So why don't you think about dentistry? And I had a really bad experience, again, like with a, an extraction of a first molar. So I'm like, yeah, dentistry actually might be good because I would be able to maybe like find a way so my patients don't cry during their appointment. <laughs> so that was kind of like the story, but it was until actually the first year of dental school, because nobody in our family is a dentist, that I, you know, I went to dental school first semester, everything worked okay. But then I was like, do I really wanna be a dentist? So I reached out to some of the dentists in Bucharest and I said, can I come and like 
shadow? Can I see what a dentist really does? And I found this young female dentist, super active, very passionate about what she was doing. I would go to her and she would constantly kind of like inspire me. And her sister was actually my classmate. So it was so nice for her to see that, you know, we were in the same cohort, if I can say. She would dedicate so much time with me, although, you know, I was not her sister, her little sister. So that's my story. This is how dentistry started. That's incredible. And, you know, it's so important that young women who are thinking about going into dentistry really do spend some time in the profession before they get there. In fact, I had a, a young woman who, who was working for a um, podiatrist come in one day and say, I think I want to go to dental school. And I said, oh, so what are you doing now? And she said, well, I'm working for a podiatrist. And I said, why do you want to work with feet if you want to work with teeth? You know, get a job working for a dentist. And she's, well, I don't know how to do anything. So to make a long story short, I, I hired her and just trained her. And she actually graduated in 2019. So, you know, she finished dental school and, and went all the way through Tufts. And, and it was very exciting for me to see her go from that young girl who knew nothing about dentistry and graduated, you know, when I was there. So I'm really excited about that. But I think that it's a really good point to bring up that if you really love a profession, learn as much as you can about it first to know that for sure that you love it, because why invest that much time and energy into it? And especially money in this country, like in Romania, I didn't have to pay for my dental school, I would get a scholarship. But the situation completely changed when, when I moved to the state. So now I look at it from from a different perspective. Absolutely. So then you arrived in the United States to do perio? Uh, no, 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 no. So basically, I entered the dental school first year. Okay, I figured out this is what I want to do. And then my brother is like, okay, this is what you want to do. It's great that you're like shadowing, but you also, you know, we don't have a practice that you can just join after you graduate. So you need to make sure that you do as many things as you can to differentiate yourself. So that's when I, you know, I was like top of my class in my second year. So I, I just expected somebody's going to come and it's like, oh, you're there. Like you should do this or that. Nobody came. It's like, okay, good job. Good job. And that was pretty much it. So that's when I got uh, involved into students association. So being involved in student association at the local level, national level, and then at the European level, I got to experience different models. And I also got to meet people from around the world as I was going uh, to, to those meetings. Uh, so I knew uh, I met some people from the States. So I, I wanted to come to the States and see, you know, live the American dream, see exactly what's going on. But I just couldn't come to school, right? So we had a program called work and travel. So you would get like a job for the for the summer times. So I had all sorts of jobs, if I can say that. And that was the first summer. And the second summer, my mom was like, okay, you want to go and specialize in the States or you're thinking about that. You should do something related to a school, to your career. So I went first to University of Maryland in Baltimore. And because at that time, you know, I... It was a time for me to have an implant. So it was exactly my third year. So I had a, a dentist that was coming from Germany at that time and he placed my implant. So I was like, okay, maybe I should look into like perio or implants because that was something that was very new. So imagine we had people from outside the country coming to, to do the surgeries for us. So that's why I, I wanted to look into perio. So I went to Baltimore, um, Dr. Mark Reynolds, who's now the dean there, I emailed him, I wanna come. He's like, send me your CV. And we usually take one student, so we'll see where you are. And I was very grateful that uh, you know, he allowed me to come. Baltimore was great as a dental school, but there were no international students. It was very difficult for me to kind of like relate to, to what's happening. So then I said, okay, if I'm going to go, I need to go to, and I was like 25, right? So it's kind of like you want more than just go to school. You want to live your life as well. So I went to New York first. I did a, a program, comprehensive dentistry with focus on aesthetic dentistry, but I always knew I wanted to do perio. So they said, you know, you cannot go to perio until you either have two years of experience or you come to one of these programs that will give you some experience for a year. So that's why comprehensive dentistry. And in the meantime, 
you know, a Tufts, you can apply for Perio. They didn't have those like pre-requirements. And some of my mentors from Europe, they did mention that if you want to be a good periodontist, you have to go to Tufts. Terry Griffin is like very good. You have to go there. Okay. So I just applied to NYU and Tufts. And you chose Tufts. That's awesome. I chose Tufts after a year, right? Because, you know, the moment you apply a Tufts, it takes like a year to kind of like get into the cycle. Compared to NYU, you apply and you get in like January and then you start uh, right in the summer. So I chose Tufts. And as you know, by the moment I was supposed to start my program, Dr. Griffin was no longer at Tufts. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, here I am in a situation that I'm supposed to go to Tufts. This person is no longer there. I got an offer of a scholarship from NYU. So I could stay in NYU, the program director there. He was very nice. He's like, oh, you can stay here. Very, very good. But then Dean Thomas became our dean. So again, I reached out to my uh, mentors in Europe and they said, if Hugh Thomas is the dean, this is the place to go. He's great. So you should definitely choose Tufts. Even if you have to pay and you don't get a scholarship, he's great. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I just followed their advice. Right, right, right. So that was, when did you graduate from the Perio program? 2015. And then you did our faculty a DMD program, yes. didn't you? Excellent, yes. excellent. And so now you can practice at, at any place in the United States. Yes. Oh my gosh. So tell our audience what you're doing now for the university because your hats are so varied. You know, where I follow the ADA and the organized dentistry path that way, you're following the American Dental Education Association path with leadership positions in that organization. Both very, very comprehensive and important to the whole profession, but two different paths, right? Because my path started in private practice where your path in, started in education and, and you're continuing down that path. So walk us a little bit through what it is you're doing at, at the university and what it is that you're doing at the AD, uh, ADEA level. Sure. So at the university level, I'm kind of like dividing my activities, I would say, in like three different areas. And, you know, some have more roles than others. So my number one responsibility is administration. So I serve as director of faculty education uh, and instructional development. So in this role, I work with faculty members and students to implement best pedagogical practices. And especially considering the transitioning and everything into virtual learning it has been a very exciting period because we got to reshape a lot of the courses and that has been awesome so that's number one then i also believe that as we are improving what we're doing in education it's equally important to do research because you know you can't just like wake up one day and it's like i want my classroom to be like this you need to have that evidence that we also have when we're doing our practice, right? We're talking about evidence-based dentistry. We should talk about evidence-based teaching. So I really enjoy uh, doing educational research and I have a lot of students and uh, residents that I work with. I also, in terms of teaching, I'm the co-course director with Dr. Noshi Mera for complex cases. And I also uh, teach in the postgraduate periodontology uh, clinic. I don't do that so much lately because of COVID, but before that, I used to be there uh, every uh, Friday. Yes, and, and, and I know that you're one of the students' favorites, so that's what I hear in the rumor mill, so you're one of the favorites. That's extremely exciting. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to get an educational system up and running virtually in relatively short amount of time. I can't imagine how critical it was for you to get that up and running and you did it without missing a beat. It's like one day we weren't doing virtual teaching and the next day we were doing it. And I cannot believe how fast you implemented all of this. I mean, all of us, right? We had well, a I know. Yes, but you were integral and very important in that whole process. So yes, as a group, we all did it. But bottom line is, you know, I know that your leadership played a huge role in it. Thank you. Thank you. I think you know, as we were talking about leadership, it's all about collaboration. So we had amazing support from educational technology services. And I feel like working with them previously and knowing how resourceful they are, 
you know, the first thing that I did was to reach out to the team at Educational Technology Services. It's like, okay, what are the guidelines? What do you want us to do? Because, you know, we can't design our virtual teaching outside of the university level. So that was number one. And then also being in touch with distance learning team from Medford. Do you have any guidelines? If we have to do this, like how do we do it in the right way? So I think those were like two key players that really supported us outside the university. Then in terms of the internal support, I think constantly meeting with the students. I remember our first remote exam with remote proctoring. You know, after everything happened, we would just meet with the students. How did it go? Like, what are some of the things that we can do better? But then also get the same type of feedback from the course directors and also working with you know, the companies that were supporting the technology. So after first iteration, let's meet with all the stakeholders, what worked well, what didn't work so well. So then constantly trying to work on those aspects that didn't go well, and there were quite a few, and then uh, kind of like implementing those changes. So I think that was in terms of like the overall framework and constantly communicating uh, with the incurring box, because I felt for us was important that even if we're implementing the guidelines from the university, in the end, his vision also has to play a key role. So we were constantly bringing him into the conversation, like, this is the plan, what do you think about it? So. It's awesome. I, you've done a phenomenal job. The team has done a phenomenal job. And I know that the entire fall semester for the entering students, which they're actually, we're, we're filming this in, in July, is coming tomorrow. So it's a very exciting time for us to start a brand new class and to see, you know, the effects of having an all digital format, at least to begin with, happens and, and how it goes. I do know that we were actively working on sending out models for dental anatomy and making sure the students had everything that they needed in order to participate in their first course. So I'm really excited and looking forward to seeing how that all transpires. So Tell us some key things that you learned along the way that might help others in their path to go digital. And from that, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're an educator, you're a professional, you're a dentist, a consultant, a speaker, you know, we're all using this digital format, you know, myself included, to do more things because not only am I meeting with people on a day-to-day basis in front of my computer on Zoom because of COVID-19, but I'm doing these interviews. And it's really kind of made us realize that we can do pretty much everything that we need to do business-wise on a computer. You know, we don't have to travel in a plane and we don't have to go halfway across the country or across the country to do business with people. So Tell us some of the things that you have seen that that have been positives that have come out of all of this. Yeah, so I think I'm a little bit biased because as a digital native, you know, I I have like my cell phone and all that, you know, it's something that I'm also passionate about. So I guess the first message is if you're not like a tech savvy person, just don't think of technology as, as a barrier. And I think I had those conversations with a lot of our faculty members. You know, you know how to teach. Don't let the location where you're teaching kind of like forget about the fact that you have great teaching skills you know the knowledge that you have is so big like you can share that either if we're in person or if we're at zoom and especially you know i feel at tufts we have so many faculty members that at the beginning you know they're very passionate about what they are doing but they were very intimidated about how am i going to do my class on zoom or on webex so i guess number one lesson is If you know how to teach and you know your material, this is just a different format to convey that information. Number one, then in terms of like number two, I think it's also important to whatever technology you choose, make sure that you reach out to other people that use that technology previously and learn from their feedback and kind of like just open that conversation. I mean, I remember like when we started the remote proctoring, no, there weren't a lot of other dental schools that were doing that, right? But even now after we implemented, I still have calls with colleagues from other universities, like what worked well, you know, just constantly think about what can you improve about the process. And I think that's something that sometimes, you know, now I can use Zoom, we can see each other. Okay, that's great. Well, there's so many Zoom features that we can use that 
maybe they are available. So mm -hmm. constantly think about how you can uh, leverage that technology to, to help you towards the goals that, that you have. And I think the other thing as we're thinking about technology, yes, it can help you in terms of the professional things that you can do, but it's also an opportunity to, you know, engage with family or like with friends that maybe you didn't have an opportunity to, to do before. So I think try to think of using that technology also as something fun or something that you really, really like to do. That's awesome. That's really great. Any more silver linings from COVID-19 that you can think of either personally or professionally? Oh, I think personally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember we were like, you, we were just like starting, right? So we met on the corridor one day, one day and you're like, we have to stop coming in. <laughs> we have to stop coming in, right? And we were just like implementing the remote proctoring and there were some students that, you know, they, oh, my laptop doesn't work. How come it works all this time? But now all of a sudden it doesn't work, right? So I realized that the more I was in the office, the more they will come in because they knew that I would help them or I would just give them like a paper copy. So at some point I'm like, I'm just not in the office. Like, you know, we have to... So then they, they figure it out. So I think from that professional, like sometimes people, they know how to swim, but until they are really in the ocean, they're just not going to practice it. Oh my gosh. I love that. I think that's so great. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your leap into leadership roles at Adia. Not many people know you know, much about that organization. So, you know, high level and then what you're doing for them now, because I know that you, you had a great honor and were invited to a major conference over in Europe. And I think that quite honestly, it's just a wonderful thing to see you be so successful so quickly. Thank you. So I guess my collaboration with IDEA started when I was in Europe. So serving as the European Dental Students Association, General Secretary, Partnership Officer, and then President, you know, you get to represent the European Association in various areas of the world. And you also work very closely with the Association of Dental Education in Europe. So I, I was involved in dental education as a dental student through ADE, which is the sister organization of ADEA. So then when I transitioned to the American dental education system, you know, some of the people that I met from IDEA, they said, you know, now you can be involved in IDEA. And I'm like, can I? Yes, you're officially an American uh, uh, student, right? So I started with an internship in my first year of residency. You know, during the summer, sometimes people just, they go off somewhere and they, I, I spent one month you know, at the IDEA headquarters in Washington, D.C. as a first year resident. And I feel like being there and seeing the impact that the association can have was really important. And then uh, as I, I realized that we were doing a, a summer research fellowship there, and then you know I got involved into uh, the Council of Students, Residents and Fellows. And also at that time, it was also timing, I, I would say, because our IDEA student chapter was not very active. And then when Dean Thomas came in, he was the chair of the IDEA Council of Deans. So he was not yet the board of directors. He was just Council of Deans, but that was still like a board director. So he said, you know, I want my student chapter to be active, right? So that's when he called me into his office and he said, you know, we have only two student representatives at the moment. I'm willing to support to have more students being involved into the IDEA student chapter. How can we work this out? I know that you have some experiences from the past with students organization. So I guess I started as a student and then I was so proud when our uh, students like Shaheen or Tuvi, they got involved in national positions. I don't know, that was super, super rewarding. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. That's how my journey started. And then from there, I don't know, collaborations just uh, came on. Now, just tell us about the award that you won, because I think it's pretty significant. Uh, I was overwhelmed. I mean, uh, so as, yeah, so as the chair of the ADA Board of Directors, Dean Thomas, he has to nominate 10 people that, you know, serve him or like help him during his term, but also uh, that he believes that uh, they have contributed to dental education. 
So I was very honored that I was the selected the student or resident, but it was, I feel like I was just like the face. It was really the team because at that time, Shaheen was elected like vice chair Two, he was coming up to be also like a member at large. So I don't know, I, I was just very grateful, but it was definitely, definitely the team. I was just fortunate that I would stay at Tufts and teach. So I think that that's what happened. It's so good. So congratulations. Now, you are actively involved now in Europe still, correct? Yes, yes. Because you just came back from Italy last year. I remember us talking about your trip. Yes, yes. So the two sister association, uh, the European and the American one, they started an, an initiative called Shaping the Future of Dental Education. And part of that initiative, they had four working groups. And for those working groups, they will have people from both associations that will represent. So you'll have two people from the States, two people from Europe, and then you have like a chair. And they, the four topics that we discussed were interprofessional education, global networking, science and technology, and assessment. So I was very involved with science and technology, and I was together with Lynn Johnson from University of Michigan. She's the Associate Dean of of faculty development and institutional effectiveness. We were the American representatives for the first edition. And uh, I was uh, the rapporteur, so I was supposed to write a paper at the end, right? Which was like, okay, I can do that. Especially because Dr. Karim Box, you know, he was the editor of Journal of Dental Education. And he said, Irina, if you will need any help, I'm here. This is a good opportunity. And then this was the London meeting. And after the London meeting at the success from that meeting, they had another one two years after where people wanted to continue those conversations because they felt that they're learning so much. So then they said, you've done a really good job as the rapporteur. Would you be interested to be the chair of the working group? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I think I can do this. But uh, I reached out to Lynn Johnson again and I said, you know, will you be willing to work with me? So we're going to invite other people, but I really need uh, your support. So she graciously said, yes, if you're going to do this, I'll, I'll be there to help. So then we had her and uh, we also had uh, Mohamed Wauji from Houston. And uh, we had two more representatives, one from London, Barry Queen, and one from Amsterdam, from the Netherlands. Very exciting. Very exciting. So if a young woman who's, who's either in dental school or just graduated wanted to go back and teach, what kind of advice would you have? I think at the beginning is like, you have to be true to yourself. Like, why do you want to teach? Why? So I think you have to make sure that you answer that question and just write it down. Why? And then I would also suggest to kind of like have a vision, like I'm doing this, I understand, I'm very passionate about teaching, I wanna give back, but look around and see what are some of the role models that you believe that you can learn from. So kind of like try to speak with them and find out about their career journey and just let them guide you. I feel like people that are usually in dental education in, in our profession in general, they're so happy to mentor. They're like, if you want to teach or if you want to do this, yeah, let me help you. But I think it's important, very important that you want to be mentored. So I think there is a difference between I want to be in dental education and I am willing to be mentored to be successful in dental education. So I feel like I was actually in the second category that I'm willing to be mentored to be successful. And I'm, I'm super, super grateful of all the support. Because I think if you just think that you're gonna come to the building and you're gonna teach nine to five and then at five, that's it, it's done. That's, maybe it might work, but I, I, I don't know of any successful people that have done that. Exactly, you, you cannot be successful working nine to five. You have to put the time in and you have to, you have to prepare. And that preparation is what makes good, good anything. Doesn't matter whether, what the role is, what the position is, you have to be prepared. You have to be, you have to train. And an Olympic athlete doesn't get to be an Olympic athlete just because he rolls out of bed in the morning or she rolls out of bed in the morning. You know, it takes daily, day after day, year after year grinds at doing it over and over and over again to be good. Yeah. And again, I think you have to be true to yourself. You have to look in the mirror in the morning and it's like, am I happy? Like if you're not happy, don't do it. It's like, right. 
So you talked about your mom and your brother. Would you say that they were really inspirational to you in your career path? And if so, you know, what was the best piece of advice they ever gave you? I mean, it sounds like your brother was really good at guiding you early on. So I think that's fabulous. Absolutely. And, you know, I am who I am today because, I mean, I feel like after our father passed away, you know, our family just became closer. I know that we have some examples when things like really went down south. I feel like for us, it was just like a moment to to even bring us closer. So, and after my mom, you know, she got better after all the, the trauma and everything that, because it was a shock for her, I feel she always made us her priority. So, although she was like very young, only 40 years old. Wow. Oh, that's so hard. Yeah. She always made us our priority. And I feel like when you see that constant support and it's all about you guys and whatever you want to do but remember these are the core values you have to work hard you have to make sure that you know you're respectful you're kind to people but whatever you decide to do those are the core values of our family and i want you to implement those whatever direction you decide to go so i think she was definitely like a big impact for me because i was so young at that point and then as I transitioned into dental school and then residency, I think my brother really guided me to look outside of the box. And, you know, he, he's always making jokes. That's the only thing that you know is about teeth. Okay, so let's, let's not have a conversation about anything else. You are good with teeth and that's it. End of conversation. <laughs> so, you know, through that joke, he will constantly challenge me to, to think outside the box, to think about, you know, who are the stakeholders of the profession, right? It's not about only what you're doing with your patient or with, uh, with your student. It takes so much more than that. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think there's anybody in dentistry that has had a really big impact on you professionally? Oh, so many people. <laughs> well, name a couple. Just, you know, highlight a couple of things and, and why you feel they're so important to the success that you've had. So... Again, because I'm very grateful to be in education and like practice. So like interacting, I think they're not only like mentors, but I think they're also patients that, you know, really believed in me. And they, they said, yes, I know you can do this like very advanced procedure, like very early on. So I think even like having those patients, like trusting you and yes, I think that also like was important or even like for students, you know, they, you know, the fact when a student comes to me and says, I want you to be my mentor. And I'm like, uh, why? Oh, I heard this and this. So whatever project you have, I just want to work with you. So, so I feel those are, you know, a part and I'll, I'll, I'll name a couple of uh, mentors as well, but I just want people to be aware of the fact that inspiration i think it's all around us and it can be found in patients in students in residents it's just a matter of like really opening our eyes and in terms of like who really guided my uh, career path i think definitely uh, laura that i was mentioning the dentist from romania that really took me under her wing and was like just come okay I'll, I'll show you what dentistry is all about and she was coming her father was a dentist her sister was becoming a dentist so she really had that big perspective and that aspect that I didn't have, like that family dentistry. And I think also as I moved from Europe to the States, I think there were a couple of people in Europe that really guided me to, uh, if this is what you want to do, go ahead and do it. And also my dean from my dental school from Romania, you know, he wrote my recommendation letter and he said, yes, just go try it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You can always come back. Let me know what you need and I'll be there to support. So I'm, I'm very grateful for, for that. And then I think as I transitioned to Tufts, definitely, you know, the reason why I moved to Tufts was because Dean Hugh Thomas just became Dean. So people told me like, if he's gonna be the Dean, he's gonna be great, you have to go there. So he really highlighted in me that spirit of collaboration because again, you know, he was collaborating with so many people uh, all over. Also, what I saw here that I didn't see in Europe when, once I came to Tufts was there were so many women in leadership position, which in my dental school or in Europe in general, they didn't have that. 
So all of a sudden, here I come and I see, you know, a lot of people like having leadership positions and they were like in active role as a woman. And I was like, wow, this is really possible, right? So that was one aspect. And I think um, then Dr. Karim Box for sure uh, had a, a, an important role because he just opened a perspective that you can do educational research. And if you do good educational research, you have an impact not only on the students, but also on the patients that the students are taking care of. So I, I really got to see that perspective for sure. And I think the other person that I really want to mention is Dr. Mera, that has been just like a constant source of support. And together with Dr. Levi, like both of them, just whatever you want to do, Irina, you can do it. Like there's no better like support, like super, super supportive. Um, yes. Both of them are wonderful, wonderful human beings. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, obviously have the most respect and uh, esteem for both deans, Karen Bucks and uh, Thomas. So yeah, great selection of people. And we are very fortunate to be in such a great school. I do believe that because I, I don't know anywhere else that I feel so at home. Um, obviously, because we went to school there, but still, it's just, I hear from other students that it doesn't feel like this at other dental schools. So I think we have a great organization and, and a great place to go to work every day. I really do. I really do. Absolutely. And again, I, I just want to mention the fact that we have so many women in leadership position, like including yourself, people that, you know, just they went to dental school here, then they came, they serve, and now they have an impact at a different level. I think just like showcasing that example, I mean, I have so much respect for Dr. Trotman as well and the work that she's oh, been sure. doing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're very fortunate that we are at an institution where there is really that fine balance between women and men leadership and you don't necessarily feel like you're a woman you cannot do this exactly exactly and i i give kudos extensive kudos to dean thomas for that because i do know that it was under his leadership that most of the women were appointed so kudos to him for seeing us for who what we could do and our talents and stuff and and appointing us to to various positions Speaking of which, you know, as I shared with you earlier, you know, one of the, the challenges I still see with, with our young women is a lack of confidence in their ability. So when you reflect back on your younger days, you know, before dental school, maybe, you know, high school and college, do you feel like you were a confident woman? And if you were, why do you think that happened? And if you weren't, what contributed to you gaining the most confidence? I know that's a lot to think about, but you know that I, I am specifically anxious to help improve the confidence of our young women, uh, especially in dental schools before they graduate so that they realize that they can do so many more things than, than they think that they're capable of doing. So if you would ask me before 13 years old, I was super confident. My father was the head of the military in our city. Like, you know, I was all, everywhere we would go he was like very well uh, received by a lot of people. So I thought everything is possible, right? I have like this amazing support. But then after that, things really changed really bad. And I realized that the only way to move forward is if I work very hard and I do things uh, pretty well. So I think when I moved to the dental school, I realized that that was okay. So we have a national exam to enter dental school, okay? So compared to here, imagine like a DAT system. To enter dental school, you have an exam with anatomy, biochemistry, physics, and all that. So here I am in the uh, exam day, and I look around, and, all, and we were in alphabetical order. And all the people, they knew each other. So I'm like, how is this possible that they know each other? And I don't know anybody. Like, so basically, they were trained by the same type of people that were constantly training people to get into dental school, right? So, so I was, I don't know, like that day, it was really bad for me because I thought I'm not going to make it into dental school because I just trained with like my biology teacher, my chemistry teacher, which were amazing. But I didn't know, like, you know, if I'm going to get in because I didn't have the same familiarity with the 
exam questions, almost like NBD, right? If you are in a school that constantly does NBD questions, of course you're gonna perform. But if you're somewhere where they just teach you like the regular concepts, there might be a chance that you don't perform so well. So I was, my lack of confidence didn't, yeah, was not good. But, you know, I, the exam, I was like, okay, there's nothing else I can do. I need to think about what I learned and just try to apply as much as I can. So that was a, definitely a key moment. And I performed pretty well without, you know, having that, that framework. So I think once I saw the results that I'm in top, whatever, I was like, wow, this is possible. So again, what my mom told me that you just have to work hard, it's gonna happen. It really happened. But just like passing that boundary where I don't think I'm gonna make it. All these people know each other. There's no way I, I'm gonna enter. So that was one. And then I think um, when I was talking about the European Mental Students Association. So the way uh, they are doing the elections is that every country votes in order to choose like the general secretary and president. For general secretary, it was okay. But for president, they've never had a student from Romania that was president of the European Dental Students Association. And especially because at that time, Romania was not part of the European Union. So it was a little bit challenging, but, and they said, not officially, but it was a little bit of resistance, hidden resistance that, that I could feel that, you know, we didn't have somebody from Romania. Are you gonna have the mentorship? Who are you gonna ask if there are gonna be any challenges? So, that happened was okay and i think the other uh, moment of confidence was when i moved to the states it was like is this really gonna be worth it like leaving behind all my family my friends and everybody so yes there were a lot of moments and i think also when i transitioned to the faculty position right are you really ready to teach especially your co-residents like one week ago you were sharing the residence room and all of a sudden now you're on the floor like teaching them how to do a free gingival graph. So yes, you do have moments where maybe you don't have the 100% confidence, but again, I feel like people around you, if you know that you work very hard, I remember Dr. Holly, my program director there, when a resident will come to him, he's like, oh, I have a consult, Dr. Holly, would you like to help me? will be like, oh, but we just have this uh, recently appointed uh, person that uh, just became board certified periodontist. And I think she pretty, she knows pretty well, you know. So I think having those people that will kind of like push you whenever you feel like your confidence level is not as high, but you have to make sure that you surround yourself with those people. Because I've met a lot of supportive people, but I also met a lot of non-supportive people. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. And, and we have no place in our lives for people that won't support what our vision is, right? So, you know, you have to make sure that you protect yourself and move on from that because life is too short and you, you have places to go and you got to protect that. Absolutely. I think that's fabulous. Just be aware of hidden resistance, what I call it, which I think it takes some time until you actually realize that that exists, but there are going to be people that whenever you're saying an idea, they're trying to be supportive, but actually that hidden resistance is there. So just be aware and make sure that once you see it, just acknowledge it and move forward. It's like, okay, this person is gonna be resistant. That's fine. Okay, we'll move but on. But then you know how to deal with that, right? Because you know, if that way you can go around it, above it, or you know, however you want to, but the bottom line is, that person or that thought is not going to change. So you got to figure out how to maneuver it. Yep. And you just need to present it in a different angle. Maybe your presentation was not as good at the beginning. Maybe they didn't see the value. They're not bad people. They just didn't see the same value that you saw. You saw it. So absolutely. Tell us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you. They would be surprised to know about me. Um, I think I mentioned a little bit about my journey in dental school. But compared to here in Romania, you have to buy all your instruments, all your materials, everything that you need for your patient. So they will have a basic, but you know, yeah, they, at least at that time when I graduated in 2009, you know, the resources were not, uh, compared to Tufts, they were not there for sure. So I figured it out that, you know, I have to do something in order to make sure that I can offer my patients the best treatment that I can. 
So I was doing the work and travel, right, somewhere. So I would go to the States, I would make some money, I would keep them, buy my instruments and everything that I need. But then I also opened a company with one of my friends. So during my fourth, fifth and sixth, then because we have six years of dental school, I was like being a full-time student, taking care of the company and then also uh, serving in the European Dental Students Association. So I feel like I was overwhelmed but it was such a good experience in terms of like time management and dealing with all, because we had, you know, people that were working with us, colleagues in the whole country, right? We started in Bucharest first, but then we, we had centers all around the country and just kind of like making sure that you coordinate with everybody. Yeah, we, I'm, but it was a great experience for sure. So I don't know if people know about that, so. No, no, I didn't even know about that one. That's, that's great. What kind of company was it? So basically we were, it was a little bit related to dentistry and with medicine because my friend, he was in medical school, but he was also doing a business school at the same time. He was trying to apply his knowledge. So basically what happened was that in Romania, we have a lot of pharmacies and when people go and they are trying to select their oral healthcare products, they just look at the price or they look at how do you select your toothbrush? What about how you, do you select your toothpaste? So we actually hired consultants that will be there at the forefront. You know, we had a contract with a pharmacy and it will, they will just guide the consumer or, you know, the person that was in the pharmacy at that point to select their toothbrush or their toothpaste and just give them a little bit of background in terms of like oral health. And they were all dental students. So it was really an opportunity for them to also practice what they were learning, but also for the patients, for the consumers to actually make an educated decision in terms of this product compared to the other. Great idea, great idea. Now, does it still exist today? No, no. So we were trying to, to sell it, uh, you know, when I moved to the States, but that was not very successful. <laughs> That's okay. It, the experience is well, well worth it for sure, isn't it? So what's your favorite way to deal with stress? So I like to walk. I like to dance for sure. And recently I started cooking, right? So we were talking about some of the things that we experienced during COVID. So now every night at like seven o'clock, it's like cooking time. Good for you. Good for you. What, you. what is your favorite type of food to cook? Oh, so we, we are um, part of all these programs where they send you the food and then you just have to make it. So we kind of like pre-select the things that we like, but it's a good opportunity to make sure that we don't waste food because before we would used to kind of like buy all these things, we will make like a dish, but then we wouldn't eat everything like first or second day. So then we will throw it away. So I feel like now we don't waste any food and I'm so happy because of that. So I don't, I can't say that I have a favorite meal. It's just, we're trying different things. And now we're making jokes with Flavius that we had like a Middle Eastern a meal. We had a Hawaiian meal last night. So we were like, we can go to Hawaii, but at least we can have a Hawaiian meal. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. What a great idea. It's a great way to do it. Do you have a personal motto or a quote that you live by? You know, some people have their favorite quotes that inspire them. So I think I have a couple, but I think it all goes back to find out exactly what your passion is. Make sure that you differentiate yourself. And as you're differentiating yourself, you know, you have to have a vision. Like, where do you want to go? What? And I'm not saying that you have to chase titles. I want to be this or I have to be this. I think you have to chase what is the area that you're trying to contribute how are you going to make a difference and if i can go back you know there were so many times where people said oh we have this position of period director pre-doc available like why don't you apply and i'm like no like why not this is a good opportunity you can do this i'm like this is not what i want to do i feel like what i'm doing now in academic affairs it's very important. I didn't have a title at that point, right? I was just like working with Dr. Karim Box in academic affairs. But that was not the point. The point was that I felt we were making a difference. So I don't have a quote, but definitely try to make sure that you make a difference and you contribute to the community that you belong to. That's the most important. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. Absolutely right on. Absolutely. 
when you consider starting your, your dental education and think about the things that you went through, is there any advice that you would have for young women that are starting dental school? Um, I would say to, I mean, if I think back like 10 years, right, since I graduated, 11 years since I graduated from dental school, I had no clue that this is where my journey is going to take me. Absolutely no clue. I wanted that to happen. This was like American dream, right? That some people said, there's no way, like they usually don't take students from Romania. No, it's not going to happen. So I think you just have to be open-minded, but also work hard and smart in the same time. I feel like, you know, in terms of efficiency and the things that you can do, learn to say no at some point, just because that thing doesn't really guide you to the direction that you want to go. Yes, it's a good experience, but think about what do you want to be when you grow up, right? If you envision yourself five years from today, like the successful person, how will that person look like? And again, I'm not talking about the titles. I'm talking about the skills that you want to have. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough. This has been a great conversation. Very inspiring. I know the audience is going to enjoy listening to your show and listening to your advice. You had some great pieces of advice. So thank you, Irina, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And can I share like a personal story? Absolutely. (laughs) Because I know that sometimes you start your uh, shows, like how you met those people. And I feel like we met when I was a student and you were a practice coordinator. So I just wanted to share that, you know, we were in our last year of residency. Okay. So we wanted to take the REB exam, the licensing exam. And I mean, we work together, but it's not like you were in touch with the residents like so much, right? At that particular time. So I remember I came to your office and I said, you know, we have this problem and it was not only me, we were four residents in the period department. And we said, you know, we have this problem. We don't know what to do with the licensing exam because we need this and this and that. And you were so kind. I still remember that moment when you said, okay, what do you guys need? I'm happy to help. And we were like, but this is not in your job description, right? You were only like with the pre-docs. So I just wanted the audience to know that, you know, small gestures of kindness can make a difference and you just don't know. I mean, that was my first impression. I, I don't even remember that, but thank you so much for sharing that story. I don't remember, but oh my gosh, thank you. Yes, and we all successfully passed the rep. So I feel like maybe you don't know what was the impact, but now, you know, Lorenzo is teaching back at Tufts. Carlos is in Dallas and, uh, you know, Teresa is at Harvard and I'm also at Tufts. So I feel like you had an impact with a small gesture of kindness that maybe at that point you didn't realize. So I wanted the audience to know that. So thank you. No, thank you, Irina. Thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for the sharing that story. You just made my day. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.